Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, that no matter what we're facing in life right now, no matter what struggles, what situation we might find ourselves in, no matter what we're battling with this morning, we can know with great confidence and great certainty that we're not on our own. Because Jesus, you are our champion. You are a great warrior that goes before us in the fight that we face right now. And Lord, I thank you this morning that you give us victory over our enemies. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you've not given up on any single person in this place this morning. Lord, it doesn't matter how much we've messed up, how many times we've fallen. Lord, I thank you that your heart is for us. Lord, I thank you that if you are for us, who can stand against us? And Lord, I thank you, Lord God, just like you went before the nation of Israel. You went before them. You sent your angel before them in order that they might take possession of the land that you'd planned for them. Lord, I thank you that you are going before us so that we may take possession of all that you've called us to take possession of. Lord, I thank you. That, Lord God, I ask that you might use our lives to give glory and honor to the name that is above every single name. And that is the name of Jesus. And, Lord, that we might, Lord, be salt and light in a dark, broken world. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 But what I have on my heart to share with you this morning, I, I pray will compliment and reinforce some important truths that God has been speaking to our hearts of late through the wonderful ministry of Pastor Dave and also Pastor Faye. You know, I think sometimes that God will tackle the, the same issues, maybe from a slightly different angle, because he wants us to understand truth. And not just understand it, more importantly, that we embrace it, we take it on board in our lives, and that we see the change that we desire to see. Amen? I'm conscious that what I want to share about this morning, this, this subject I want to share on is so vast that you could spend hours on it and barely scratch the surface. So my heart is I don't really want to speak for too long, if I'm honest. Um, as somebody once said, your mind can only take in what your bum is willing to endure. But I, <laughs> but I, but I, I really, my heart is that something will stir inside of you this morning to take hold of the Word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, take up the Word to see change that you're longing to see in your life. Amen? Amen. Are you ready to receive? Amen. Say to the person next to you, change is coming. Amen. 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 When, when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager living with my mum and my dad, we lived in a bit of a topsy-turvy house. The, the living room was upstairs, and my bedroom was downstairs. And the stairs were all wooden and open plan. And um, the, the days before mobile phones, which is quite a long time ago now, isn't it? If you were in the living room and the phone rang, you'd have to come down two flights of stairs to where the phone was near the door. And in the mid-70s, my dad had a footballing accident and he broke his leg really badly. And in fact, it was so bad, he was in a full-length plaster for nine months. Well, he wasn't in a full-length plaster, his, his, his leg was. But, but, it, but it, it was so bad, my, da my dad's leg was so bad that he used to have, he, 
the, the, the plaster was on for so long that it stopped the circulation going to his foot. So his toes curled up and he had to have a number of operations to try and straighten his toes. In fact, my dad used to call his foot his pig's trotter because how gnarly and messed up it was. But in those days, when, when my dad was so, so much in pain, they used to spend, and, and it, he had a, it was a lack of mobility, he couldn't get around, he used to spend most of his days in the living room. And um, just, to, just to think back and to, to remember those days when my dad used to hobble up and down the stairs in constant agony, in constant pain, was a, was a sorry sight. But I'll never forget the noise that my dad's good foot and his crutches made when they landed on the, the, the wooden stairs and echoed right throughout the house. It was this like, ba-doom, boom, ba-doom, boom, ba-doom, boom. It was, it, was, it was just, it was really bad. But one day, me and my brother, we were outside playing with our mates. We must have been about 13 years of age. And uh, we had this fantastic idea that we'd give our dad a call from the phone box at the end of the road. Can you remember the phone boxes? Can you remember those old phone boxes? They were always damp and they smelt the weed, didn't they? And the, and the, and the direct, and the page you wanted in the directory was always missing, wasn't it? The people in the 30 probably haven't got a clue what I'm on about. But, but, but you know, anyway, we, we were in this phone box, me and my brother and a few mates, and we thought we'd give my dad a call. But this wasn't a pastoral call. This wasn't a checkup on his well-being. We thought we'd have a bit of fun. So there we were. We, were, we rang our dad from the phone box and it, the, rang the number. It must have took my dad about a minute to come down the stairs uh, to answer the phone. When he picked up the phone and said hello, guess what we did? We put, the we put the phone down, but we didn't leave it there. We waited for a few minutes until he got nice and settled back in the living room, and we phoned him again. Sure enough, it took him about a minute to get down the stairs. When he picked up the phone, yeah, you guessed it, we put it down again. We must have done that about three or four times. And my, I tell you what, it's a good job me and my brother got saved. We'd have been, I don't know, we'd have been in prison. We'd have probably ended up in prison. But, um, but, you know, me and my brother were in fits of laughter, just envisioning, just thinking about all that struggle. But my dad bumping and banging down the stairs, all the pain, all the wasted energy, all the frustration for nothing. I can remember seeing my dad later on in the day, and he said, uh, he said, oh, he said, I've been on the go all day. My, my foot's in agony. I thought, on the go all day, if you didn't know what me and my brother had been up to, we'd have been on the go all year. He'd have had us doing chores probably until Christmas time. But the reason why I say that, is, there's a moral to this story, and it's this. When trouble calls, and very often it will, it can lead you to places where you don't need to go. Do you know, we get hoax calls every single day of our lives, but not via telephone, but by the whispers, by the, the negative thoughts and the lies that the devil plants in our minds. You see, the devil has, hasn't got ability to read our thoughts or read our mind, but he does have an ability to plant thoughts in our mind. And how we respond to these incoming messages can determine the direction that we take in life. You know, I believe that God wants us to have a blessed, filled life. Anybody else believe that? A blessed, joy-filled life with fun and laughter along the way. Amen? I don't believe that God wants us to have this, 
like siege mentality where we're just, you know, holding on and gritting our teeth until Jesus comes again. Don't believe that. And one day soon, he is going to come again. Amen? One day soon, he's going to split the skies. Those who are left behind, those in dead, the Bible says dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are left behind will meet the Lord Jesus in the air. So he is coming again. But I believe until that day, God wants us to have a joy-filled life. I don't believe he wants us to have a siege mentality. But a great man of God called A.W. Tozer said that the world is not a playground, it's a battleground. And the battle, I guarantee, that most of us are facing this morning is in our mind. And if you want a title, a simple title for my message, it's winning the war in your mind. Folks, as believers, we cannot lower our thoughts just to run wild like spoiled, naughty children, tampering and meddling with our feelings and emotions and indulging in whatever things that they want to do. We can't. Pastor Dave said it recently. You see, our life is heading in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. Do you believe that? You know, we cannot just allow our thoughts to run wild. Do you know, there there was a video on, on, um, on, on YouTube that's been about years, and it's a lady, I think she must be in about her 70s or 80s, taking a great dame for a walk. And she's there, one hand she's got the lead, the other hand she throws a stick, she's looking at the camera, and woof, she's gone. She's just, she's flown out of the picture. And that's exactly what negative thoughts can do to us if we allow them to run wild in our life. You know, and I believe this morning, I don't know where I am in my word now, I've just lost it. You know, but maybe this morning, you know, going back to my, my little story, you've been hijacked by nuisance calls. But the calls are not just nuisance. They're malicious. They're obscene. They're threatening you. They're tempting you. They're bullying you. They're dominating you. They're keeping you in prison. And they're stopping you from being who God has called you to be. And maybe just like my dad, you're hobbling and wounded up and down the same old path. It's like rinse and repeat every day. Same thoughts, same feelings, same actions, same habits, same results every single day. And you think that you cannot get off this path. You think there's no way that I can get off this path. I want to say this morning that you can get off the path. You can. You know, the enemy has convinced you that things will never change. And you've been crying out to God for so long. Lord, I can't go on with like this. Lord, please help me. Please, Lord. Have you prayed a prayer like that? I'm not ashamed to say that I have prayed a prayer like that. Lord God, I can't go on any longer. Please help me. It seems sometimes, doesn't it, as if the heavens are brass and it's like as if God is not listening. And you wonder, does God really care? Does he love me? You know, I believe, and I, I know God wants you to know this morning, that God cares. Unequivocally, God cares about you this morning. He's concerned about you. He loves you so much. The Bible says that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Isn't that wonderful? He knows what you're going through right now. He knows the struggles and the challenges you're facing. And he's not angry with you. He's not berating you by not speaking to you. He wants to help you. And he's going to help you. You know, 
I've used this before, but the animals in the 60s had a song called We Want to Get Out of This Place. Can you remember the song? We want to get out of this place. Are we going to get out of this place? It's the last thing we ever do. Rubbish singing. But the point is, that's in your heart this morning. You know, you want to get out of this place, and the enemy has convinced you that you cannot get out of this place. And God wants you to know he's going to help you. You can get out of this place, but you know what God is saying to you? God is saying to you this morning, he sent me to say to you that he's not going to get you out of the place. God is going to change you so you can get out of the place. Because you see, often change takes place in the inside before it manifests on the outside. Amen? And like Pastor Davis has mentioned recently, you know, you've got to work with God. God is saying, listen, you do what you can do and I'll do what only I can do. You make the choice, as Pastor Davis has been ministering, and God will make the change. You see, we can't just do our own thing and expect God to bless us. The, the Bible says, unless two walk together, how can they agree? How can they, unless unless you agree, we agree, how can two walk together? You know, unless you agree with God, you can't expect, unless you work with God, you can't expect God to bless you if you're not doing what God calls you to do. And so this message this morning really is a call to arms for some of us to take a hold of the sword of the Spirit and start wielding it and start coming against some of the lies that the, the enemy has used to keep you bound and to keep you captive and start believing what God says about you. God loves you so much. He loves us so much. So for the time I've got left this morning, I want to center my message on a scripture that I'm sure many of us are familiar with, but, but do we... Do we use it in our lives? Are we, are we operating in it? Is it a reality in our life? And it's a scripture found in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5. It says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So with the time I've got left, I just want to uh, just share three key points from this scripture to help us win the battle that we face in our mind. And if you've got a pen or if you've got a tablet, whatever it is, and you may want to make notes, the three points are these. We're going to look at the, strat the strategy of Satan, the frailty of our flesh, and the weapons of our warfare. Firstly, let's look at the strategy of Satan. As believers, we must understand that Satan has declared all out war against us. He hates you and I, and he hates everything that we stand for. You've got to believe that Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy you. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and life in abundance. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior that, that wants to bestow us with life and wants to give back the things that we've lost? Amen? Jesus loves us. But Satan not only wants to destroy what you have, he doesn't want to just destroy your possessions, your family, your health, if he could. He wants to destroy who you are. If he could, the enemy will destroy your character, he'll destroy your reputation, he'll destroy your peace, he'll destroy your joy, he'll destroy your generosity of giving, he'll, he'll destroy your exuberance and your love for life because the enemy wants to replace all the wonderful qualities that God has given you the enemy wants to replace those things that God has given you in, in, in your life with himself. That's what he wants to do. 
And the way he attempts to do this is with an all-out assault on our mind because this is where the battle is. You know, the enemy knows this is the control center, our mind. And if he can control our mind, he can control us. And, the, you know, Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Amen. What's inside is a real us. Amen. And as we think, as what's going on inside, what's going on in our mind, is, is who we really are. So as we look at the strategy of Satan, I just want to cover very quickly three there's many objectives of the enemy, but I want to just cover three objectives that I felt God has laid on my heart for us as a people this morning. The first one is this. Satan wants to capture. Verse 4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I haven't got time to go into the context of this verse, but we're going to learn a lot about how the enemy works by understanding this word stronghold. You see, when Paul talks about this word stronghold, the Greek word is okaruma. And the word is one of the oldest words in the New Testament, and it's a word that describes a fortress or a castle. And these fortresses were, were made, they were, they were tall, and they were made with thick walls that were impregnable to keep outsiders from getting in. And often they were built on high places. They were built up high, so they would have an advantage over any enemy assault. But in the New Testament, the word also means a prison. And these prisons were also often built at the center of fortresses. And, and so these places were, where these prisons were, were highly guarded and important prisoners were kept in these, in these prisons. So when Paul talks about a stronghold, he's talking about a fortress that keeps outsiders from getting in. But he's also talking about a prison that keeps insiders from getting out. And this is what the enemy attempts to do in our lives. He builds fortresses not out of stones, but out of lies, out of arguments, out of falsehood, out of deception. These things become so big, so large, so ingrained in our minds that they hold us captive. And they're so well defended against that even when people try and tell us the truth, they're so strong that they can't reach us. Have you ever tried speaking to somebody and you know they're living a lie, or they, it might be even just preaching the gospel, and you try and tell them about the good news of the gospel, you try and tell them truth, and you think it's like talking to a brick wall. Have you thought that? We've all been there. Why? Well, it is a wall. It's not a brick wall, but it's just as real. It's a, it's a, it's a wall built in the mind, and people will fire, fire behind the wall. They'll fire arguments and accusations at you, and you can't get near them. What is it? It's a stronghold. And these strongholds, folks, they're not built up over just days, often over years. Reinforced sometimes by the excuses that we make for our behavior and by the, 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 the values or the false values we take on of the world. Do you know that, and, and the wild thing is, do you know Satan is a master of deception? And when, we, when these things, they hold us in a grip and the enemy convinces us that we cannot escape them. Do you know that, um, I was looking at recently, when I was just looking online, do you know that the famous escapologist Harry Houdini visited Newport? Did you know that? He visited Newport on a number of, of, of occasions in the, the turn of the, into the 20th century. And he, in fact, one time he jumped off Newport Bridge and, and with handcuffs on. He did. He ended up in prison. But anyway, there's a story about Houdini. This is a, it's a wonder he didn't get stuck in the mud, didn't he, with the escalator. I wonder if there's any river there. But anyway... 
the sto- there's a story about Houdini, and this is really interesting, that when he came to an, into a town to drum up publicity for his shows, he would go to the nearest jail, ask the jailer to put him in a prison, they'd lock the door, and town and city after city, time after time, he'd escape using a hidden key. But there was this one time, apparently, when he went to Preston, that he went into the jail, the jailer was ready for him. So he was put into a jail, the door was shut, but the jailer, he turned the key the opposite way. So instead of locking the door, the door was open. Houdini went into the cell, and Houdini, trying to escape with his hidden key, was actually, in in fact, locking the door instead of opening it. And time after time, he tried to open that door, and in the end, he had to admit defeat, because Houdini had believed the lie that the door was locked when, in fact, it was open. Do you know, you may be stuck in a prison this morning through the lies and the deception of the enemy built up in your mind, and you're stuck and you think you can't get out. In fact, you might be stuck behind the bars of fear. You could be stuck behind the bars of, of, of worry, of regret. Of, of, there's a there's whole host of things that you might be stuck behind right now. And the door is open when you think it's locked. The enemy is is deceitful. He he cons us, doesn't he? There's freedom freedom and abundant life the other side of the door. All you've got to do is open the door and walk out. But maybe this morning, like Udini, you've been trying to escape using your own skill, your own strength, your own ingenuity to get through that door when the door is already open, not locked. Do you know, I believe this morning that Jesus can help you to get through that door. In fact, he's going to lead you out because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. When Jesus took the keys of hell and death, when he defeated Satan on the cross, the Bible says he led captivity captive, didn't he? Gave, all, gave gifts to men and Jesus is going to lead you free. Anybody stuck this morning, Jesus, because the truth will set you free. Amen? So Satan wants to capture. Secondly, Satan wants to control. Do you know Satan's clever and cunning, isn't he? He is. We know that. We're not giving him any you know, power that he hasn't got, but we know he's deceitful, he's deceptive. He's a master at studying character. From the days of Adam and Eve, he's been studying human nature. He knows how we tick, doesn't he? He knows how you tick. He knows what winds you up. He knows how you're going to respond and react to situations. He knows. So he's not going to fight you, or attack you in an area where you're strong. He will attack you in an area where you're weak. And an area where many of us, where most of us can be vulnerable, is in an area of our feelings and emotions. You know, and and if we're not careful, the enemy can use our emotions to set up controlling thoughts in our mind to stop us from reaching out and being blessed by the the, the wonderful things that God has got for our lives. Do you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, it says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, is it? It says it's against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. But whilst our weapons are not flesh and blood, the enemy will use flesh and blood. The enemy's weapons are carnal. And and, and there are times when he can use people and manipulate people to control us emotionally and keep us in his grip so we don't step out to do the things that God wants us to do. I, was, um, I visited Bath recently and um, to see my, my son, who lives not too far away, and his partner. Me and my wife went to Bath and we did a, an open-top tour of the city. Anybody been to Bath? 
It's a beautiful city, isn't it? I was just amazed at how influential Bath has been over the centuries. And, um, you know, and aristocracy and, and royalty often visited, often visited Bath because of the, the, I think one of the reasons was the healing properties of the spas there, wasn't it? I think that was the reason. I'm not talking about the shops now, it was the water. But, but, but you know, the, the, I, I was amazed at how influential Bath was. But this story, I was there with my headphones in, listening to the audio commentary, and this story came up, and it was really, I knew God was speaking in my heart about it. This is a story. When Queen Victoria was 11 years of age, she performed a first royal appointment at Bath. And while she was there, a foolish reporter, reporting for a local paper, made an appearance on her dress. He said that her dress was dowdy. That was the words he used. I mean, you know, what a schoolboy error. You know, you know, fellas, we know that we don't comment on a lady's dress, especially when they go into a special occasion. We don't do it. We do it at our peril, don't we? But this foolish reporter commented on a dress, and as a result, Queen Victoria determined that she would never visit the city of Bath again. And you know, in her 63 years, reigning as a monarch, she never visited the city of Bath. And in fact, this is wild, on her 63rd year, she was visiting Bristol by train and had to pass by the city of Bath. And as she passed, the story is, as she passed by Bath, she ordered that the shutters of the train were closed so that she couldn't see Bath or Bath could see the city. Now, when I pondered on that story, I thought, how sad. For 70 years, because she lived till she was 81, for 70 years, this godly, stately, regal woman allowed the thoughts of one foolish reporter to influence her mind toward a whole city and its, and its population. One thought. And just like that shirt on the carriage, she closed her mind to the possibility of any kind of reconciliation and therefore missed out on the wonderful benefits and blessing that I'm sure the city of Bath could have bestowed on her and her the city. Folks, we must be careful. We don't allow offence, disappointment, and all the other negative emotions that the devil uses to build strongholds or, or, or controlling thoughts in our minds to stop us reaching out to others and also others reaching out to us to receive the blessing that God has got for our lives. You know, I, I, as I was just looking at this this morning, I believe that God said, there are people here, right? there are people here in this place, I know it, God's got places and people for you, places for you to go, people for you to see, but there are issues of your heart that you have, and blessing, wonderful blessing, that you will be to others and others to you, but there's issues of your heart that you've got to deal with. God's going to help you but before he can release you into that, into that place, amen, and that for your life. So not only does Satan want to capture and control, thirdly, very quickly on this point, as time is going, Satan wants to corrupt. So he wants to capture, he wants to control, and he wants to corrupt. We all know the story of Exodus, don't we? That God has promised the apple of his eye, Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey, a blessed land. They received his promise. 
They saw the wonderful miracles, the incredible signs and wonders that God used to deliver his people out of the hands of bondage and slavery in Egypt and the wonderful provision that he bestowed upon them in the desert. They were incredibly blessed. But when it came to following and obeying God's word, they fell woefully short. And we know about the 10, spy, 10 of the, out of the 12 spies. They went into the land. They went into the promised land and they had to come back with a report. And the Bible says, pretty much, they said, yeah, you know, when they came back and gave the report, they said, yes, the land is all that God said it would be. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a blessed land. We walk through the land. We've tasted its fruit. It's a great land. It's a good land. But we can't take the land. We, we, we can't beat these people. They're too big for us, and we're too small. And it says in Numbers 13, 33, it says, we seem like grasshoppers in, in our own eyes. Now, I get that. I understand that part of the scripture, because, yes, they felt intimidated, intimidated when they looked at how big these people were in their own eyes. But this is what I don't understand. It says, and we look the same to them. How did they know what they looked like in the eyes of their enemies? They hadn't spoken to them. How did they know? You know, because they believed the lies, they believed the enemy. But here's the point, here's the, the point I want to emphasize. In Numbers 13, 32, so the preceding verse, it says, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they, that, that they had explored. I looked up this phrase, bad report, and it means to slander. In other words, it means to tell a lie intended to harm. Do you know, this bad report, that was spread by just 10 people, corrupted the minds of an entire nation. It corrupted the minds of an entire assembly, an entire nation, to, to such an extent that they wanted to rebel, they wanted to, to, to kill Moses and Aaron, and they wanted to select other leaders to go back into slavery in Egypt. You know, we, we don't need to be on social media and have thousands of followers to be an influencer, do we? We don't. I was just thinking about this. You know, we're influencing people every single day of our lives, positively or negatively. Maybe the ones or the twos, but we are influencing people. And do you know, I, I just felt this on my heart to say, we can say things, I say things, we all say things sometimes foolishly, and we say things maybe in anger or in frustration, we do. But listen, if we say things with the wrong spirit like these spies had, to deliberately cause people to rebel against God's authority, God's delegated authority, and that can be in church or outside of church, we're on sticky ground. And we are unwittingly helping the enemy do his job, and he doesn't need any help, does he? And that's why we have to be careful with, the, with what we say and the spirit in which we say it. And if you've been there or if you're there, God's saying, look, just deal with it. Repent and, and, be, and get right with me. Amen? So we've looked... We've looked very quickly. God, the enemy wants to capture, control, and corrupt. Let's look, secondly, at the frailty of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The New King James Version would say, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Why is it here to, in Paul's letters to, to the Ephesians and Corinthians, why does he say about... Our weapons are not against flesh and blood. Well, as I thought about this scripture, the reason why is because we all, as people, have a propensity. When, when stuff comes against us, when we're attacked by stuff, we have a propensity. We have this, this way of dealing with things in the flesh. Anybody done that? Yeah, we've all done it, haven't we? 
And Peter is a prime example. I was thinking about this. The one, Jesus in his time of need, in his hour of need, when, when, when Jesus wanted Peter to pray, he couldn't stay awake for one hour and pray. And yet when the mob came to arrest Jesus in the garden, guess who was the first one with his sword out? Peter. And that's the same with us. And I, I believe God wants us to remind us this morning that the battle is not against flesh and blood. Fighting fire with fire does not work. You know, your battle this morning is not against that person in your school or in, or in your or, or university or workplace that's making your life a misery. That's not where the battle lies. It's what's motivating, motivating them to be the people that they are. And that's what you need to come against. And do you know, do you know what I find? The greatest weapon against animosity and anger. Do you know what the greatest weapon is? Love. It's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard because, if, you know, it's very hard sometimes. But God has put a gap of love inside of us. And I tell you, when you show people love, they're angry with you. You don't know where to go with it. It's like, as the Bible says, burning coals on their head. Just show them love. But the, ba- the, battle is, the battle is not against flesh and blood. But here's the problem. We live in the flesh, every single one of us. When we got saved, our physical fleshly bodies weren't transported to another planet. When we got saved, we couldn't say, beat me up, Jesus. We're going out. Because God wants us in this broken world. He wants us on this planet. You know, there's nowhere we, we can put our flesh. We can't drop our flesh off like we do to our kids in school in the morning and pick it up on the way, way home. There's nowhere where we can put our flesh. There's nowhere where we can escape the trials and the temptations and the hurts and the pains of life. That's just part of life. You know, that's why sometimes people, you know, they think if they can, if they can isolate themselves from the world and people, you know, that they can win this battle over their mind. And if they can't. You know, people join monasteries because they think that joining a monastery, not being disparaging towards anyone in, is in, that, in an order or whatever. But what I'm saying is sometimes we think that if we can isolate ourselves, we'll win this battle in the mind. We won't. You know, it doesn't make us more holy. All it does is isolates us from people. The, uh, uh, the, there's a world out there that God wants us to reach. Amen. If we think that we can change the environment but, and that will change the battle that's going in our mind, we're wrong. It won't. And that's why God is saying this morning, I believe this, that listen, I'm going to change you so you can change your environment. I'm going to change what's in the inside so you can change what's on the outside because change is going to take place inside first. Amen? So we've looked at the strategy of Satan, the frailty of the flesh. I'm doing all right, actually. Yeah. The weapons of our warfare. I want to look at this passage um, in a bit more detail in 2 Corinthians 10 and also in Ephesians 6. But before we do it, there's a crucial and a really important point that we've got to understand. And it's this. The battle we fight is not for us to go and win. Jesus has already won it. He has already won it. It's not about us having to muster all the strength and all the energy and all the skill and all the power and psyching ourselves up to push through the barriers, to push through all the obstacles and all the stuff that we are coming against in life. It's not for us to do it. It's not about what we have done. It's it's what Jesus has done. Amen? And God wants us to embrace this truth. Please get hold of this truth. Listen, you and I this morning, you fight from a place of victory. In fact, As the hymn goes, we go from victory unto victory. That's where we're fighting from. 
Now that might, and Pastor David said this recently, that might contradict everything that's going on in your life right now. It contradicts your experience, it contradicts your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts. You think, how on earth? You know, when you look at your life and you know what's going on in your life, you think, there's no way I'm victorious. Well, that's where the fight of faith comes in. We fight a good fight of faith, amen? It is a good fight. Do you know why it's a good fight? Because we win. Do you know, when I was a kid, I used to get into some fights. And sometimes my brother would start, and I'm one of a twin. He would start, and my mum and dad would say, go and sort him out, sort that person out, and I'd have to go and try and finish it. But, but we didn't used to call them fights, we used to call them scraps. Anybody had any scraps? But I can't think of a good scrap that I lost, especially when I got punched in the face. But, but folks, the fight is a good fight because we win, Amen. There's a Chinese warrior, you may have heard of him called Sun Tzu, and he wrote The Art of War. Anybody heard of The Art of War? He lived around the turn of the 5th, 6th century. But when I read this, I thought, oh man, this encapsulates, this is what the, our life is about. He says, a victorious warrior wins first and then goes to war, while a defeated warrior goes to war first and then seeks to win. That, to a T, that, that is, describes to a T the truth behind our faith. We fight from a place of victory. Amen? Amen. Folks, and so with this perspective, let's just read 2 Corinthians 10, all right? We're just going to look at verse 4. It says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. This word power here, you may have come across it before. It means dynamis. It means dynamite. It's powerful and explode. It can obliterate the lies that the enemy would have planted in our minds. It really can. It's the weapons that God's given us, the armor that God's given us is powerful. It really is. So I just want to look at, um, I've got to read the scripture, but we haven't got time to look at all the, 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 the armor that God has blessed us with. But I just want to look at two key points of the armor. All right, but let's read this, this verse uh, the scripture in verses 14 to 18. So it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the blessed plate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take the, up the shield of faith with which you shall extinguish all the, fiery, the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So let's look at, firstly, I want to look at the first piece of armor and I want to look at the last piece because I believe that they're connected. Firstly, the first piece of armor, Paul says, the first piece of armor that Paul says we're going to put on, he says this, put on the belt of truth. Uh, it's, uh, in John 14, 16, it says, Jesus says this. So what is the belt of truth? God says we're to put on the belt of truth. Jesus says in 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. When we think about the belt, what does the belt do? It keeps our clothes on. The belt keeps everything together. It's the centerpiece of our clothing, isn't it? Amen? Do you know, I had a bit of an incident in work recently. Yeah, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very pleasant. I had a, I had a tidy pair of trousers on and I had a belt on, but my, my underpants were a bit dodgy. The elastic was going in the pants. So I'm a cleaner. I, I, I work in flats and I go up and, and down flats. And... Whilst I had a good pair of trousers and belt on, my pants, after about an hour, they started to go downhill pretty fast. That's all I can say. These things, these things start, but, but having to try and carry a mop and bucket and work with pants on all day with the elastic going in them, 
man, the energy, the exhaustion I expended, <laughs> the worry I, and concern I had, I didn't think I was going to last a day. I was troubled. I was greatly troubled. And I, but I did have a belt on. But the point is this. When we don't put the belt of truth on, Jesus is the truth. When we don't abide in Jesus, it, listen, we cannot win this war without a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. We just can't. We can't win it. You can try as much as you want. You ain't going to win it without Jesus. When we don't put the belt of truth on, when we don't abide with Jesus, when we haven't got that relationship with him, when we're not speaking to him, you know, it's like we, you know, we, we try to hold things up. We try to keep things in place that we're not, try, well, we're not meant to. Like my underpants. I couldn't keep them up. But that's what happens when, we're trying, when we try and get our truth from other places. When we, we, we try and get our truth from, from the, the values of this world and all the stuff, all the junk that's out there. You know, when we don't have Jesus as a centerpiece of our life, folks, you, you, you're not going to win the fight. Jesus is our savior. He's our warrior. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Amen? And this leads me on to the, the, the last piece of armor. In Ephesians six seventeen, it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How can, how can we know what truth and what lies are in our life unless we have the word of God? When we look at our culture, when we see the ideologies and the philosophies out there, man, how can we, how can we, how can we know, how can we discern what is truth and what are lies if we don't have the word of God? You know, there are, there are people, and I, I don't mean to be disparaging, but it's, it's true, right? There are people in churches up and down this land this morning, they sing the songs, they sit in the wonderful ministry, they, they even amen the word of God, and yet they're living in bondage. Why? Because they don't understand that they need to take the word of God and build and base their lives on it. You see, when you know, when the living word of God, man, when, when you know the word of God is living, and it can change, and you take it, and you appropriate it to your life, it can change the way you think, It'll change the way you behave and it will change your life. It's another, it's a different ball game. But you've got to take hold of the word of God. Do you know, I was thinking this recently. Do you know, we have ministers, and I, I don't want to, I'm not here to, to flatter Pastor Eva Faith, but we have ministers who love the word of God, who, who, who passionately love the word of God. I'm not talking about preaching it, I'm talking about living it. In season and out of season, they're faithful in preaching and ministering the word of God. As Pastor Desa, I've known him for 29 years, and he has been just a one, he, you know, you wouldn't even know it. But, you know, sometimes it's not what you say, it's, 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 it's how you behave, isn't it? And I tell you, people are looking at us, not in the good times, but in the tough times. You think maybe in your workplace or wherever you are that you're not having any, any impact. I'm telling you now, people are looking at you and watching you. They watch you closely. People that want truth, people who don't know Jesus are looking for a better way and they're looking at you. And it's not often in the good times that they look, it's in the bad times and see how you respond to adverse situations and problems. And I've seen with Pastor Dave and Faith in season and out of season, they've been faithful in preaching and ministering the word. And I tell you, I don't know about you, but that, that's the sort of leaders I want to follow. Amen? Amen. But 
out of all the armor that God given, has given us, the only one, only the offensive weapon we have is the, is the sword of the Spirit. And the word is, is wonderful. It's living and active. It can bring us peace when we're in a storm, can't it? It can comfort us when we're in distress. It can bring healing when we're sick. It's living, it's sharp, it's active. But that's just the one end of it. The other, the other side of the blade, the other side of it is that when we wield it against the lies and the deceptions of the enemy, it can cause great damage. I tell you this now. You know, you look at, the, you look at when Jesus, when, when I tell you, the, the sword of the Spirit, we need to use it against the, the, the lies that the enemy would use to keep us bound. Amen. And some of us need to take up the sword of the Spirit and start wheeling against the eyes, lies and the thoughts the enemy has used to, to, to try and keep us captive. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what did he use? The Word. Jesus, tell us stones to, come bread, to become bread. It is written. Jesus, worship me. It is written. Jesus, throw yourself down. It is written. He came against the enemy. He cut him down every single time with the Word. And that's what God wants us to do too. As we close, I want to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 10 a little bit more. I want to look at um, the, verse, uh, the last verse, verse 5. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I want to spend just a few moments on this last verse in this passage to help us deal with some of the thoughts that may, some of the rogue thoughts that might come into our mind. You know, the phrase take captive, it's an interesting, the, this is a picture. When Paul says taking captive, he's talking of a picture of a soldier who captures an enemy soldier with a spear in his back. See, this, this soldier is forced to, to submit. He has to surrender. And that's what we have to do with the negative thoughts that come into our mind. We, we take them prisoner and we force them to submit to God's word. Amen? We, do you know, we cannot, listen, we cannot indulge in negative thoughts. We can't. There's, do you know, if we, we cannot, we, we, negative thoughts can have a detrimental effect on our lives. If you don't take that thought captive, one day that, that thought will take you captive. It might not be tomorrow, it might, might not be next week or next month, but one day, if you don't take that negative thought captive, it'll take you captive. Listen, when the thoughts come in, you know, it's no good. It's, we can't pull up a chair and have a nice cup of tea with a thought and start to, 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 to ruminate and start to think about this thing. No, we have to take it captive. You wouldn't allow a murderer to camp in your garden, would you? So why do we allow the devil to camp in our mind with a negative, destructive life or thought? We mustn't allow him to, to, allow him to do that. It says, we take the thoughts captive and make it obedient to Christ. This word obedient, the, word, the Greek word for obedient is hupakuo. It's a compound word. It's a double word. The hupo means under. It implies a subservient position. And the akuo is where you get the word acoustic from. So basically what this, this picture, it's a picture of someone that's forced to submit and has to listen to the, the words that are spoken over it. And that's exactly what we have to do with the word of God. We grab it by the scruff of the neck and we have to force it to submit to God's word. Amen? Amen? So when those negative thoughts come into our mind, we take them captive. We grab them by the scruff and we say, listen, you're going you're gonna to take the thought and take it to the word. Use the word. Pastor Faye said it last week about, it's not just about thinking stuff in our mind. Speak it out. 
you know, we have to change our thinking, as Pastor Faye said. And it is a season where I believe that God is exhorting us and challenging us and encouraging us to change the way we think. So when, when thoughts come in and tell us that are negative, they tell us to do something that's contrary to the word. Or say, for example, the enemy comes and says, you're going to fail. No, devil, you shut your mouth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? You, you're going to be sick. No, Jesus paid the price for my sickness on the cross. By his wounds, I am healed. You're going to be on your own. No, devil, I'm not going to be on my own. Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. Whoever finds a husband finds a good thing. And anyway, Jesus ain't going to leave me or forsake me. Amen? You go, you, it's going to end in disaster. No. Everything works together for those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. You're going to go under. No, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Amen? Listen, we can take control of our thoughts. And I'm going to just, just, just a few moments. Do you know, some, uh, when I, I've, I'm battling with some stuff in my mind. And I've been battling, and it's a battle, and I'm trusting God to touch my mind, touch, like we all are trusting God, amen? And that's where the fight of faith is. But somebody described, I thought this is a great, it helped me, really helped me to understand some things, and just how to approach some stuff. Um, there's a difference between your mind and your brain. There's a difference. Now, behavioral psychologists may not make the connection, but there is a difference and the Bible makes it very clear there's a difference between your mind and the grey matter that you think with. And somebody described it this way, and I thought it was really interesting. He said, the relationship between the mind and the brain is like the relationship between the pianist and the piano. The pianist uses the piano to express music. And it's like that with your mind and your brain. The mind is a thinking, but it's the grey matter is what you think with. So when it comes to our brains, I was just thinking of that picture. Some of us this morning, when it comes to our brain, we might have like a Casio keyboard. We might not be that clever. Others of us might have a Steinway grand piano. We might be really clever. It doesn't matter. The Bible says, and this is what we need to hold on to. The Bible says that when we accept Jesus in our heart, we're given, we're given the mind of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? What does it mean we have a different capacity to think than the world thinks? There are people out there far more intelligent than us, but they haven't got the mind of Christ. They can discern the thoughts of the Spirit. They can't can commune with God. They can have their, 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 their desires and emotions in line with God's desires for our life. They can have God's plan for their life, so, and, and, and we align ourselves with God's plan. They don't have it. And, and I thought, you know, when it comes to that, the picture of the mind. You know, there are some of us here this morning, and, you know, you... you you know, you're not hitting the right notes with the piano that God has given you. And God, God is saying to you this morning, change your tune. The world has a saying, change your tune. Change the way you think and let Jesus sit at your piano. Align your thoughts with God's thoughts. And that might not be instantly, but get the word of God and start reading it. Start aligning your thoughts with God's thoughts. You may be in here this morning with mental health. You've got poor mental health. Do you know, and, and the picture that came to me was like, the strings on the piano have been hammered so often and so hard by wrong, negative thoughts that your piano is out of tune. Do you know, Jesus is a great concert pianist, but he's also a great piano tuner. And I tell you this, he can tune your brain. He can make your brain work as it should work. Clear. And so that you can play the notes in tune that God has for the song for your life. Amen.
Amen. Just finally, do you know, just finally, just very quickly now, it's my third, third finally, isn't it, I think? But anyway, just very quickly, I've gone over massively. Just very quickly. Do you know, one of the, my favorite scriptures is a, is, a, is a scripture found in Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a plan to bless us and to, and to prosper us, a plan to give us hope in a future. That's God's plan for your life. But do you know why I love that, that, that verse? It's because of the context in which it's written. I think Pastor Dave and Pastor Faye have mentioned this quite recently. I know I've made notes. Do you know, when, do you, have you ever had an argument with someone? No, have you ever said something to someone and they've misconstrued it and took, took it the wrong way? And, and, and they said something, and they said, no, and you say, this is what, and they said, no, you didn't mean that. You meant this. And they're trying to tell you what you're thinking. Have you ever had that? I've had it loads of times. This is the context on, what's, on which this verse is written. You see, Israel was, was saying that to God. Because all that happened to Israel, they were saying, you don't love us, you don't care for us, look how you've forsaken us, look what's happened to us. And God says, I alone know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Don't tell me what I'm thinking about you. And there are plans to bless you and prosper you and to give you hope in the future. And that plan is for every single one of your, uh, our lives this morning. Amen? Amen? Psalm 139, and that's it. That's, that's the end. God says, I was just looking at this recently. God says, do you know how amazing this is? Do you know, this is incredible. When you were knitting your mother's womb, the Bible says that God's thought, thoughts about you were so numerous, you couldn't even count them. Isn't that amazing? God's thoughts about you. No matter how you think about yourself or how others think about you, God's thoughts about you are so numerous. All good thoughts that you can't even count them. They're more than the sand on the seashore. How amazing is that? How incredible. And, and you know, no matter what's going on this morning, no matter how far you feel from God, I'm telling you now that God's plan is to bless you and prosper you and give you hope. Start, start believing what God says about you. Start getting the word of God out and start... You know, and start wielding the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God against the lies of the enemy. Do some homework when, you, when, you, when you've got some time. Firstly, recognize the thoughts. What is the, the most dominant thought that's stopping you from, from moving forward? Recognize that thought. Do, do some homework. Recognize the thought, and then, then replace it with God's Word. Replace it with God's Word. And I tell you, some of us might have to do it, and then, then repeat it. Because you might have to do it loads and loads and loads of times. You might have to do it a hundred times a day. Maybe a thousand times a day if you have to, but recognize that thought, replace it, and, re and repeat. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? Do you know what? Right from the beginning, all the way through to the end, that was instruction and wisdom. Instruction that we're going to need and wisdom that we're going to have to use. You know, we can sit comfortably. We were all sat comfortably listening to that word from the Holy Ghost through Dale this morning. And, you know, when we leave this place this morning, I guarantee you every single one of us are going to need that word and we're going to rely on it, aren't we? Isn't it wonderful just to know that the Holy Spirit gives us His Word, right, and encourages us and, and furnishes our lives with wisdom before we need it. We're walking into a new week, and I, I tell you, as you go into that week, you're going to need that Word that God has planted and seeded into your heart, not just for next week, 
for the rest of your life. So please, you know, please, and we, we've listened to that word. We've amended it, haven't we? We've amended it as God's, God's people from Dale. But again, maybe listen to that word this week on, on podcast and just really take it in. What a wonderful word. I, you know, when Dale started, when he told that story about, about his dad breaking his leg, and, you know, running up and down the stairs painfully to answer, answer the call. And then just wrapping it up. The moral of that story was how many calls do we attend to that we never need to answer? So powerful. And that really set the temperature of that word. And, and all the way through it, I tell you now, that was Richdale. It really was. And not only you know, with the Word of God scripturally, but also very applicable for everyday life. You know, so, so let's be, I, I, that really caught, caught my ear when Dale, you know, when Dale said, when he wrapped the moral of that story up and said, how many times are we answering calls that we never should attend to in relation to thoughts in our mind? You, you know, even if we just go away and get that, and take the Word of God, I tell you, our lives will be trans transformed. So thank you, Dale, for that. We're going to sing just before we go, but I'm going to pray right now. And today, you know, you've come into this place, you've heard us sing songs, you might be watching online, you may be here this morning. You've never asked Jesus into your heart, you know. Uh, you listen to Dale, you've, you, you've experienced this service, and maybe your heart's been heavy. Maybe, maybe you've sat there and you've thought, well, what is all this about? You know, really? You know, what, what, what is life about? And you've been questioning life for some time. Do you know what? Outside of Jesus, like Dale said repeatedly, outside of Jesus, there is no hope. There is no hope. Jesus didn't die to give you religion. Jesus didn't die he wasn't nailed on a cross, you know, to give you a load of rules. You must do this. You must do that. You know, you, you go to school to hear all of that stuff, right? And, and you go out into the world to experience that. Jesus died so that you could have a relationship with God, so that you could have peace in your heart, so that you, even beyond this life, this temporary, transient life, you could know and be assured that you can have life eternal even beyond the grave. I'm going to pray right now, and you may never have prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. I want to ask you today to open your heart, to pray this prayer with me, and a miracle will take place beyond your mind, a miracle will take place where you will have and receive peace in your heart as Jesus Christ comes to live in your heart. It's like opening your front door and welcoming Him in and saying, Jesus, be my Savior. I tell you now, He will take, He will take that invitation. He won't demand it. He won't force it. But he will, he will step into your life if you invite Him. And He will bless it. He will make it whole. And He will, he, he, he will lead you on through this world every day of your life. You'll, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I'm going to pray right now. Pray this prayer. If, you've, if you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, if you want to ask Jesus today to forgive you all of your sins and cleanse your heart and your life, pray this prayer with me. Very simply say this, Jesus, quietly in your heart now, say this, Jesus, 
I call upon your name today. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me to set me free from sin's power. Thank you for dying for me to give me new life. So, I open my heart right now, as best as I know, and I say, come in, Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Come into my mind. Please, give me your peace, and let me know the power of your salvation from this day forward. Amen. I prayed that prayer when I was 15 years of age, right? I'm 53 now. And I'm telling you now, Jesus has kept me through every season of life, through the highs of life, through the lows of life. You could go around this room. I don't know how he's been able to keep me a wild horse, right? I have no idea how he has been able to, to, to lead me through. But you know what he has? Gently, gently, ever so gently, pulling up with all of my mess, being patient with me. And it's the same for you. You prayed a simple broken prayer that you don't even understand. Okay? You don't even understand how this works. You don't have to. All you have to do is your part. Please help. That's what you've done this morning. Please help. He'll do the rest. He will never ignore an invitation like that. And that's what I did. I was broken, crying my eyes out, snot everywhere. Please help! At 15 years of age, at 15, Jesus has been the greatest friend I have ever had. He's not religious. He won't turn you into some kind of religious freak that you glow in the dark and everybody makes fun of. No, He will make you a true man. He will make you a true woman. He will give you your life in Him. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you today. Thank you for that incredible word that we have received as your people. We don't want to answer any more calls that we shouldn't attend to. When the enemy tempts us in our mind, when the enemy causes us to be, Lord, like Dale said, we want to take hold of the Word of God, use it as a sword, and live for you for the rest of our lives. We thank you for it. We're going to stand to our feet now, give you praise for your Word today, and then we're going to go out triumphantly into another week giving you praise. Come on, let's show our appreciation again to Dale, and we'll stand to sing. God bless.